Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, let's just read verse 6 and 7 before we pray. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity once again to be together as believers, Lord, and to spend time gathered around your word. Lord, I pray that this morning you would empower me through your Holy Spirit. Lord, you would give me wisdom and guidance from on high, that you would order my thoughts, order my words. And Lord, I pray that this morning everything about this message we'd honour and glorify you, that you would teach us through your word now, instruct us through the Holy Spirit. May you be honoured and glorified now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now here in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, Isaiah prophetically declares for you and I the coming of our Redeemer, the coming of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, long before Christ was born in that little town of Bethlehem, Isaiah pens these words given to him by the Lord by God, by the Holy Ghost speaking through him. You know, from the very start of this verse, you know, we begin to see the glorious truth contained therein. From the very start of this verse, we see some wonderful, glorious truths concerning our Lord. Now, Isaiah begins this verse here by saying, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. You know, here in these few words, Isaiah through the Holy Spirit, gloriously declares to you and I both Christ's humanity and His deity. In this phrase that we often overlook and we sort of read it and it seems like it's just repetition, you know, in this phrase we have Christ's humanity and His deity. It says a child is born and declaring unto us His humanity. Christ the Messiah would be born like any other man. Just like you and I, He would be born of a woman. Made flesh, he would grow up and be ten all points like as we are. He would be fully man. But at the same time, he would indeed be fully God. He goes on and he says, unto us a son is given. And this second phrase shows to us his deity. He was the son of God. He was a son. The son of who? The son of God. The eternal son of God. More than just a man. And so Isaiah begins this glorious verse here by declaring the marvelous truth that the Messiah, the Lord Christ, would and is indeed fully God and fully man. He's both. And Isaiah proceeds then to go on and tell us more about this one who would come, about the Messiah, about our Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives to us here five names that belong to the Lord. He says in uh, verse 6 there in the second half, he says, His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You know, these five great names which the prophet Isaiah gives to the Lord, gives Isaiah here, you know, point out some great attributes of our Lord. It's really what these five names do. They, they point out to us His attributes, point out to us what He is like. 
You know, they distinguished Christ as being indeed superior, as being different from every other man. You see, only one person could possess and fulfill these five names, Christ and Christ alone. And so leading up to Christmas, I want us to examine each of these names given to the Lord and I want us to look at the glorious truth that is conveyed by each concerning our Lord. And so this morning I want us to consider the first of these names. His name should be called Wonderful. His name should be called Wonderful. Now there are some commentators who think that the word wonderful here is used as an adjective. And so therefore instead of standing alone as a separate name, they they believe it should stand with counsellor and be one name, wonderful counsellor. And while the word can indeed in the Hebrew be used as an adjective, it can indeed be used to um, connect with counsellor and, and modify that word counsellor, it can also stand alone in the Hebrew. And so our translators are fully justified in putting the little comma after the word wonderful. They're fully justified in doing so, in distinguishing it as a separate name for our Lord. Indeed, in another place in the Word of God, we see the same Hebrew word standing alone as the name for Christ. Just go to Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. Just read verse 17. It says, And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, What is thy name? That, that, that when thy sayings come to pass, we may do the honor. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Why seek, askest thou thy name, seeing it is secret? You know, it may not be clear straight away here, and it wasn't clear to me. I didn't know this. I learned something new this week. But here in chapter 13, verse 18, Christ calls himself wonderful. He says the exact same thing as what Isaiah does in chapter 9, verse 6. That's verse 6. You see, here we have Samson's parents, and they're, they're talking to the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord, of course, is, I believe, the Lord Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate. So the Lord Jesus Christ is appearing to them, and he responds to the question. They said, you know, what is your name? And Christ responds to the question by saying, at the end of verse 18, what are, Why askest thou thus after my name, seeing it is secret the word secret there is actually the word wonderful it's the word wonderful it's the same root hebrew word and probably many of you in your you know little um par um the columns there where it has like different word meanings and stuff it probably has that word listed there wonderful because that's what the word means it means wonderful and so christ himself talking to samson's parents calls himself wonderful it's the same hebrew word standing alone as a name for the messiah and so in Isaiah 9 verse 6 and Judges 13 verse 18, we have our Lord Jesus Christ called Wonderful. And so then what is the meaning of this name? What does it mean to say that the Messiah, the, that Christ is wonderful? Well, this word wonderful speaks of something that excites wonder and amazement. It speaks of something that causes us to marvel. And the truth of the matter is that when you and I stop and think about the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not hard to understand why his name is wonderful. It's not hard to understand why uh, Isaiah here says it and judges it says it, that Christ's name is wonderful. 
Because indeed, everything about our Lord, about our Messiah, is wonderful. Everything about him excites us. It, it causes us to marvel and be amazed when we consider our Lord and Saviour. So I want us this morning to consider just some of the ways that Christ is wonderful. First of all, he is wonderful in his birth. He is wonderful in his birth. Just go over to Luke chapter 2 if you would. Luke chapter 2, and let's just read from verse 8. It says, And they were in the same country. Shepherds abide in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. In the past, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. You know, here we have the record of the shepherds. We know it well, of course. The shepherds in the field watching over their flocks and the angel appears to them declaring this wonderful, glorious news that Christ, the Savior, is born in Bethlehem. You know, the shepherds, of course, were amazed at this. They were amazed at this wonderful, exciting news. They marveled at the news given to them by the angels. So much so that they wanted to see for themselves. And we read that. Verse 15, it says they rushed to Bethlehem to see this babe, see this one who is Christ the Lord. You know, once the shepherds had found Christ, once they had seen him, you know, they couldn't contain themselves. They had to tell others, they had to spread this wonderful, glorious news. You know, they went about telling others about the birth of the Lord. Look in verse 17 of chapter 2. It says, And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the same which was told them concerning this child. And all that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. They go around telling others about the birth, about the, the Messiah who is born. And what is the response of everyone who hears? Their response is that they wondered or they marveled at these things. You see, the response of the shepherds and the response of the people who heard about this was to marvel at the birth of the Messiah. You see, Christ is wonderful in his birth. His birth is a wonderful, glorious thing. For the Jews, it was wonderful and glorious because their Messiah had come. The Messiah was born. For you and I, it's true as well because our Savior was born. Our Savior, Christ the Lord. You know, even today when you and I consider the birth of our Lord, we it every year at Christmas. And when we consider the birth of our Lord, you know, it causes you and I to be amazed, does it not? To be amazed just at how wonderful and glorious his birth really is. To marvel and think that he would leave heaven's glory to become a lowly man. That the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, would, would humble himself in such a way. Go over to Philippians 2. A passage we know well, but it 
makes it the point clear. Philippians 2. Philippians 2 verse 6, it's to being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. In being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient even unto death, even the death of the cross. You know, Christ left heaven's glory in the form of a servant. He humbled himself. You know, if that doesn't cause us to marvel, if that doesn't cause us to sit back and take stock of the situation, something's wrong. Christ's birth ought to cause us as believers to marvel, to be amazed. It is wonderful and glorious that the King of Kings would leave heaven's glory to come and dwell among us. And to think that He did it because He loves us. That was the motivation behind it all. He loves you and I. Indeed, our Lord is wonderful in His birth. Secondly, He is wonderful in His life. Christ is wonderful in his life. You know, if we consider Christ's life here on earth, every aspect of his life, every part of Christ's life causes you and I to indeed stand with wonder and amazement. It causes us to marvel. For instance, if we consider his miracles, his miracles alone point out just how wonderful our Savior is, just how wonderful and powerful he is. Just consider for a second, if you would, just the first miracle that Christ performed. You know, the wedding feast at Cana. Now, there was nothing special about that wedding feast. There was nothing special to set it apart from every other wedding that was going to take place on another weekend or another week in Israel at that time. There was nothing special about this wedding. But, you know, then Christ arrived and Christ transformed that wedding into something that you and I still speak about you and I still remember and ponder upon today as believers he's taken that ordinary wedding and turned it into something marvelous and glorious to behold because as you and I know at that wedding he took ordinary servants who took ordinary spill with ordinary water and Christ then performed the ordinary turning that water into wine see Christ did something wonderful something glorious and you and I just marveling at that one miracle he took an ordinary event and turned it into something you and I have been speaking about for thousands of years as believers. Indeed, the first miracle that Christ performed set the tone for his whole ministry here on earth, did it not? You know, everywhere Christ went, things changed. Everywhere Christ went, the ordinary became extraordinary. Christ healed the blind, he healed the lame, the sick, he raised the dead. You know, Christ's whole life here on earth was one of wonder and amazement. And indeed, when we read the reaction of the people who were around him, we see that. Just go to Luke chapter 8. Read the reaction of the disciples, first of all. Luke chapter 8, verse 25. We'll go back to verse 24. It says, And they, said, and they came unto him, and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased. And there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commanded the wind and the water, and they obey him. And it says here that they wondered, saying to one another, What manner of man is this? They marveled at what Christ had just done, what Christ had just performed before them, arming the seas, the wind and the waves. They marveled 
at his great power at this miracle that had taken place. If you go to chapter 9 of Luke, chapter 9 and verse 43. It says, And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. But while they wondered, every one at all things which Jesus did, he said unto his disciples. Here we have the reaction of other people. The same thing, they wondered, they marveled at everything that Christ was doing. You see, as we read the Gospels even today, you and I marvel at what Christ did. Because you see, Christ's miracles demonstrate to you and I just how wonderful He is in His life. Just how wonderful He really is. Now, not only do His miracles demonstrate how wonderful He is in His life, but you know, also His teachings demonstrate this fact. Go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 and verse 22. Luke 4, verse 22, it says, And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And this is just one example, one passage, but here you've got the reaction of the people to the teachings of the Messiah, of Christ. It says that they wondered, they marveled at his words, they marveled at his teachings. You see, Christ taught those things which go against human nature. He taught the very opposite of what man teaches, what man believes. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is the classic example of this, is it not? Let's just go to Matthew chapter 5. We can't read all of it, but just a couple of verses. Matthew 5 and verse 43. Matthew 5 verse 43, it says, You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That's just one example of how Christ's teachings are marvelous. They are something that you and I look at and marvel. Because Christ teaches the very opposite of what we as humans believe, as man believe in our fallen nature. You know, Christ teaches the very opposite. Indeed, his teachings here on earth cause you and I to wonder, cause you and I to be amazed at his wonderful teachings. But you know, perhaps the most, one, most wonderful thing about Christ's life here on earth is that he never sinned. That he never sinned. Go to Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4. I know we're flipping around a lot today, but it's good to... Go and read verses and get, get a ground in the Word of God. Here is 4, verse 15. It says, We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You know, a verse we know well, but it's a glorious verse, isn't it? Teaching us a wonderful truth about Christ's life here on earth. See, Christ was tempted like we are in all points, but he never sinned. Christ lived the perfect sinless life you know even Pilate had to declare Christ's innocence if you go to John 18 we're not going to go there but John 18 verse 38 John 19 verses 4 and 6 in those three verses Pilate on three occasions declares I find no fault in this man even Pilate had to recognize the innocence of Christ you see Christ lived the perfect sinless life that is a wonderful glorious truth a truth that is only possible because He is the eternal Son of God. A truth that's only possible because of His virgin birth. 
meaning that he was born without a sin nature. And all this means that he is qualified to be our representative. That he is qualified to represent us on the cross. To be our Adam. He's qualified to save us from our sin. You know, when we consider our Lord's life here on earth, it is indeed wonderful, is it not? He is wonderful in his miracles. He's wonderful in his teachings. He's wonderful in his sinlessness. Christ indeed is wonderful in his life. Thirdly, Christ is wonderful in his death. Christ is wonderful in his death. You know, how can we talk about Christ being wonderful but ignore the cross? We can't ignore the cross. You know, he's probably the most important thing. It is the most important thing. It is the most obvious way that you and I see how wonderful our Savior really is. That he would come to earth for the sole purpose of saving you and I from our sin is a wonderful, glorious thing. You know, this is why he left heaven's glory. This is why he humbled himself as a, as a child being born in a manger. This is why he lived the perfect sinless life. It was so that he might save you and I from our sin. John chapter 3, verse 17. Just turn over there quickly. John 3, verse 17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world, to condemn the world, but that through the world, that sorry, but that the world through him might be saved. That's why Christ came, so that the world through him might be saved. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. That's why Christ came, and what a wonderful, glorious purpose it is. You know that truth that Christ died for us becomes even more glorious when we understand that Christ knew that this was going to happen. Christ knew that this was going to happen. He knew that he was going to die on the cross. Luke chapter 9, verse 20. Luke 9, verse 22, it says, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. You know, Christ clearly taught his disciples that he was going to die that he was going to be buried, he was going to rise again. Christ knew what would happen. He knew that this was his purpose here on earth. And yet he willingly went to the cross for you and I. He willingly died in our place. Now he could have escaped at any time. He's God's son. He could have called 10,000 angels as we sing in the song. But instead he willingly went to the cross and he suffered in our place. Now, he laid down his life for us. John 10, verse 18 tells us that. Let's turn there quickly. John 10, verse 18, it says, No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Now, it declares this wonderful truth. Christ knew he was going to die, and Christ willingly died. He laid down his life for us. No man took it from him. Now, why did he do all this? It's because of his love. It's because he loved us. You know, 1 John 4 verse 10 says, Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loves us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God the Father, God the Son, they loved us so much that Christ came to die for us. John 3.16, of course, tells us the same thing, for God to love the world. This glorious, wonderful truth that it was all motivated by love. 
And because of his love, Christ willingly died in our place. He didn't deserve to die. You and I deserve to die. He didn't deserve that punishment. We did. He took the guilt. He took the punishment of our sin upon himself. 1 Peter 2, 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Christ bore our sins in his own body. He took our punishment, our guilt, our shame, so that we might have eternal life. You know, probably the most wonderful thing about it all is that he did all this while we were enemies of God. Romans 5 verse 8, But God commandeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, when we put it in that light, his death becomes even more wonderful, does it not? You and I were his enemies. We were sinners. We had nothing to do with him. We wanted nothing to do with him. But Christ came to die in our place. Indeed, when you and I consider his death, Christ is wonderful. He is wonderful. It's only because of his wonderful love, grace and mercy that you and I are able to have a home in heaven one day. He is wonderful in his death. And lastly, Christ is wonderful in his resurrection. Christ is wonderful in his resurrection. You know, as wonderful as Christ is in his death, without the resurrection, it has no meaning. Without the resurrection, it loses all purpose. Because Christ's resurrection from the grave proves to you and I that God's righteous demands have been satisfied. It proves that everything has been done that needed to be done to secure our salvation. You know, Paul speaks wonder of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians. So let's turn there. Last passage we're turning to this morning, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, I just want to read from verse 12. It says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? If Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we, have, we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, who he raised not up. If so be that, he, that the dead rise not, for if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You are also yet in your sins. Then they also which have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead, become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. You know, Paul points out clearly to you and I the wonder of the resurrection. He makes it clear that without the resurrection, you and I have no hope. Our faith is in vain. You see, if the one that you and I have placed our faith in is still dead, then what hope do we have that we shall rise? None. If the one that we placed our faith in is still dead, then we are just like every other religion, serving a dead master. But praise God, Christ didn't stay in the grave. Christ indeed did rise again the third day, proving that his sacrifice was sufficient, proving that our salvation has been purchased, that he has conquered sin in the grave. He has won the victory. 
Indeed, Christ is wonderful in his resurrection. And it ought to cause you and I to sing and shout for joy because he lives. We serve a risen Savior. You know, truly, his name is wonderful. Christ is wonderful in his birth. He is wonderful in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. And you know, really, this morning, all we've done is scrape the surface as to how wonderful Christ really is. You know, we could go on and we could talk of his ascension back into heaven. We could talk about the fact that he is right now there making intercession. He is there before the Father on our behalf. We could talk about the fact that he is our high priest. We could talk about the fact that his grace and his mercy, the list is endless. That's the point of this, this one little word, wonderful. That's the scope of this word. Christ is wonderful beyond our comprehension. That is our Messiah, that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I trust Christmas as we remember him especially, remember his birth. Trust that we will remember that his name is wonderful. And remember and reflect upon just how wonderful he truly is. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you so much, Lord, for your son. One who was born in Bethlehem all those years ago. We thank you so much, Lord, that his name is wonderful. And Lord, we've only scratched the surface as to just how wonderful he really is, just how wonderful you are. So Lord, I pray that today we would leave this place singing your praises, singing praise glory unto you for all that you've done and all that you are. We bless as we close in Jesus' name.